Welcome to another edition of the Sawyer Business School Amplification Avenue podcast. I'm Skip Perrin from the Marketing Department at Suffolk University in Boston, and I'm happy to bring you another conversation about the convergence of sports business, the media, and society. In this episode, I share my conversation, recorded earlier in the year, with former NHL player Sheldon Kennedy and his fellow Respect Group Inc. founder Wayne McNeil about their work helping sports organizations and businesses of all kinds combat abuse, discrimination, bullying, and harassment. While this conversation comes in the aftermath of the sexual abuse crisis with the Chicago Blackhawks in 2021, the truth is that sexual abuse in sports is one of the first topics that caused me to think about sports and media amplification. It first caught my attention as a topic in 2011, when the Penn State and the Jerry Sandusky abuse case came to light. It was clear at that time that Penn State sacrificed the safety of some of the region's most vulnerable for the sake of winning. Were the Chicago Blackhawks, who were trying to end a 50-year Stanley Cup drought in 2010, any different? Kyle Beach was a minor league player in a completely vulnerable position, yet he had the courage to say something at the time about the abuse. What he got in return was 10 years of struggle and pain. Having said that, let's hear from Sheldon, himself a victim of abuse at the hands of his junior coach, and Wayne about their work with sports organizations, most notably the NHL. And 21 was another year in which the sports industry seemed as if it was at ground zero for issues relating to sexual abuse and misconduct. In the past 12 months, the NHL, the NWSL, the tennis world, the NFL, and the U.S. Olympic gymnastics program all made headlines in this area. Respect Group Inc., which was born out of the abuse that Sheldon suffered during junior hockey, are leaders in helping organizations address and eliminate bullying, abuse, harassment, and discrimination. In my conversation today with Wayne and Sheldon, we'll talk about how to prevent abuse in the future, how to address these issues when they come to light. Uh, we'll talk about how sports can amplify support messaging and to learn about support organizations and networks that currently exist for victims of abuse who are dealing with the issue either publicly or privately. Wayne and Sheldon, welcome. Thank you, Skip. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thank you. I appreciate the time. I really do. And happy new year to you both. So let's start here. My original plan um, was to really ask you, Sheldon, to share your story. Um, but I really want to encourage the listeners of this podcast um, to watch the Swift Current documentary. I found it on Amazon uh, to really get a comprehensive understanding of what you and others um, have battled as survivors of abuse. But so I want to pivot to something, something that I saw in the documentary at the very, very end, uh, because I think it really leads me to where I want to go um, with this discussion. And that's about how sports can lead on this issue and foster change. Right. Um, so at the very end of that documentary, um, and I think it was it was really at the very end and it was it was text um, over the video. It, it talked about the date of December 7th, 2004. And I think the, the graphic said that with the help of the NHL and the N, NH, NHLPA, you entered treatment and what you know paved the way for what you're doing now. Um, so my sense is that prior to that, the hockey community wasn't really there for you. I um, mean, you could tell me if, I, uh, if I'm wrong, but I know you had been in treatment you know, prior to that. This December 7th date, 
seemed to be the date that changed things. But was there something that happened with the NHL, the NHLPA, that there was a structure there all of a sudden that wasn't there supporting? I'm just, uh, that stuck in my head. So I'm very curious yeah. about that. Yeah, well, I mean, basically December 7th, 04 is, uh, you know, the, the date that I managed to uh, get sober, get clean. And, uh, you know, and I've been clean ever since. So, you know, that's always a significant date. And, you know, and it was through the help of the NHL, NHLPA substance abuse uh, player um, health and safety uh, program. Uh, but it was, it, they were there, um, you know, all these other times that I was in treatment, uh, they were also there. So, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, Sheldon go to a 30 day treatment center and, and uh, try to get sober. But I think, it, you know, the way we dealt with addiction back in, uh, you know, the early 90s and all the way through the 90s, uh, you know, and it hasn't been until really recently, is that we haven't connected um, addiction and the impact of trauma. And, uh, you know, so it was about quitting drinking and quitting drugging and, and, and that was about it. And so, you know, meanwhile, the first, you know, probably six times I was in treatment center, uh, we never talked about the abuse. It never came up. It was always just try to get children to quit drinking. And, and that's the way we dealt with it. Not just for me, but I think for, for everyone that was, that was struggling with, with the alcohol or drugs. Um, wow. So, you know, I'll always be grateful to, well, there was Dr. Brian Shaw and uh, Dr. Dave Lewis um, that helped me and stuck with me, uh, you know, and, and, and the league for giving me all those opportunities to, to finally have a chance to, to get sober and to, to have a significant time under my belt to know what it's like to, to live, you know, drug and alcohol free. Okay. Yeah. So was putting the abuse together with the substance of the, the abuse the sexual abuse with the substance abuse that really was the difference maker in that treatment? Well, I as think opposed one to of the things, I mean, if we look at the impact of child abuse and, you know, I mean, if you look at the numbers, there's over 80% of individuals um, that are in detox or treatment centers have disclosed early childhood abuse. So, I mean, the connection is real. And, you know, and if we look at, you know, some of the other numbers, I mean, you know, kids that have been abused are 30% higher dropout rates in high school, 26 times more likely to experience youth homelessness. I mean, the list goes on. And, you know, and it wasn't until recently um, through some of the, you know, the, the work that's being done, um, you know, with Vincent Folletti, Dr. Folletti out of San Diego, um, uh, Nadine Burke-Harris uh, out of San Francisco, that we've started connecting these dots that, you uh, you know, um, the impact of early childhood trauma, it affects early brain development. And so mm -hmm. um, with me back in the day, um, you know, I thought, you know, drinking and drugging was the only thing that worked to shut my head off. And I didn't yeah. know anything else um, that worked, even though it was very uh, disruptive to not only my life, but many of many others lives, uh, including my teammates and the team and so forth. So um, to be able to actually connect the dots to why I felt the way I felt and to really understand and to hear from the, you know, from the doctors that, you know, the way, the way you felt and, and, and what you did and how you lived your life, Sheldon was normal for what happened to you. And, and I think, you know, being able to understand that was critical. It wasn't just mm -hmm. that Sheldon was crazy. And that's what I used to think I was. And, and uh, today I know that I was hurt and, yeah. uh, uh, and I have to, continually find ways to uh, pay attention to that to make sure that uh, you know I can continually live 
a, a good, healthy life for, you know, not only myself, but my family and, and yeah. colleagues and so forth. Yeah, it's fun. And it's interesting in that uh, root causes. It's come up a couple of different times here. I talked with the Boston Celtics about some of their programs in the community. And, and it's about getting at the root causes that causes the kid in high school to be um, out of order isn't the right word, but there are many situations where the kids are just not in a good environment. And if you don't address that root cause, then you're never going to get at, you know, what you think you're never going to solve the symptoms, which is too often what we're trying to treat. Uh, Wayne, I'll send this one to you, to, to you first. And then Sheldon, I'd love to have you weigh in too. Um, so you've both been back active voices on this issue. And, and Sheldon, you reported your abuse way back in 1996, and you did. You, you guys organized the skate across, uh, skate across Canada in, in 1998, and, and I was actually moved to tears when I was watching that, um, the reaction to people. And then I got to the point where, and I didn't know your your full story. How, you know, th- there was trauma at the end of, of that that skate. Um, but so you've been active since really the late 90s, yet in 2010 here we have the Blackhawks. And again, it's not unique to hockey, but for you guys who have been in this space, was that really disheartening, particularly as hockey guys? I mean, was that particularly disheartening to in 2010 see this same issue pop up or the way that organization handled it when guys like you have been talking about this for a long time at this point? Well, for me, and I'm not a hockey guy, I I happen to be in, associated with hockey for quite some time, obviously through Sheldon all these years. I don't think it was a shock. Uh, I can't speak for Sheldon, but I don't think it was a shock for me. Uh, We deal with all sports and, you know, you had the long list when you started the call, you know, uh, Penn state obviously comes to mind. Uh, Larry Nasser comes to mind and that stuff was going on before 2010 continued after 2010. So I don't think it's a big shock. Complicity uh, is the sad point of it all, right? Um, I think it's going to be very tough, although we've been trying for the last 25 years to eliminate and prevent abuse from happening in the first place. And I think we've made some strides in that regard. But the next best defense is giving people tools to uh, respond to it the minute it happened. And that's exactly what didn't occur in Kyle's case with the Chicago Blackhawks. And that's pretty much uh, the same symptom in all of the cases that you talked about earlier on. So I don't think it was a shock. Uh, It was saddening for sure, because the reasons behind the complicity seem more focused on at that time, winning the Stanley Cup in the case of the Chicago Blackhawks Mm-hmm. than uh, helping a player who is in distress and hopefully preventing it for others uh, in the future. Um, and I think we're going to be able to help with that. But unfortunately, um, that's been the catalyst for us to get involved in this scenario. So yeah. I'll turn, you know, turn it over to Sheldon for his kind of feelings on that one. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's disappointment to uh, probably because we've seen it all too often. And mm-hmm. sadly, you know, you get, uh, you get organizations that, uh, you know, want to take a leadership role and want to try to get ahead of it. And, and, and they do everything that they can within their organization to do that. Uh, and then you get other organizations 
um, you know, such as we saw uh, with the Chicago Blackhawks case, Kyle Beach case, where they wait till something critical happens and they get all this pressure, uh, you know, a, a terrible event uh, happens, people are hurt, and, and then they decide to do something. See, my opinion, I think, Skip, with this whole thing is that I think that at the end of the day, you know, yes, this is a sexual assault case, but um, we're really dealing with a systemic um, uh, culture. And that's what we're dealing with. And it's not, you know, and I think that's what has to happen. I don't think it's particularly one individual as, as much as it is a systemic nature, mm-hmm. a systemic culture. And, and that's, that's the response we got. We got a systemic response to a human issue. And I think that there was, you know, and I think the league, um, you know, and, and, you know, the people that were responding to this in the media, um, whether it be the teams or whoever, I think we're really out of touch with society's expectations and how far we've come uh, in regards to these issues, um, whether it be the Me Too campaign, whether it be, you know, Black Lives Matter, whether it be, you know, Larry Nasser, you know, all of them. And I think, you know, it was a, that was, I think, um, really uh, clear in, in my opinion that uh, obviously um, there was some much needed help that was going to be needed to right this wrong. Now, on the other side of that, I think that, you know, when, when um, very negative stories like this happen within a league, within an organization, within a company, um, what an opportunity to drive change. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, to be able to get to that point, to embrace that, I think has to be, uh, you know, is, is an absolute critical move. Yeah, no, and, and you're getting to right where, where I want to go uh, with this conversation. And uh, something you said in the documentary, um, you said, you know, we need to eliminate fear. And you said our kids are talking. And, and Kyle Beach was a kid, right? He was 18 years old at that time. And a kid who was trying to make, make the league, make the show, right? So he was in a completely vulnerable position um, and didn't feel that he had a voice, um, particularly in a time when the Blackhawks were chasing their first Stanley Cup in X number of years. That's an incredible, difficult position for any individual to be put in. Um, and he was clearly fearful, but he was talking. He talked right at that time and they did nothing. So that was uh, really disappointing. So let's go into that because what you guys are, you guys are about, um, I'll say, solutions or uh, providing tools. So can you tell me what is the mission of respect group. And then we'll talk about the recent announcement with the NHL that you guys are, are partnering with them on. So what, what does the respect group, uh, what the respect group Inc do? I'll let Wayne answer that. And then I'll uh, maybe talk about the, uh, about the NHL announcement. Perfect. Um, well, we, we had very humble beginnings and I would say naive beginnings because Sheldon talked about the system. Um, I would when I talk about complicity, when you look at complicity, really it is about the system because it's several people acting the same way to keep something from becoming more public. We started out um, thinking we could educate every coach in Canada around about 2004 when the whole notion of e-learning became uh, on the radar. Uh, And we said, oh, wouldn't it be great to create a program Hockey Canada had a program at the time that was classroom-based. 
uh, called Speak Out and good on them for being the first sport in our knowledge to deal with these issues head on. But it became very cumbersome. It became a, a huge burden on each and every one of the organizations at that time in Hockey Canada to deliver these workshops face to face. So we said, what a brilliant idea. We'll come up with this program. We'll educate every coach in Canada. We had no idea what the, the sports system looked like in Canada at the time. But um, that was our goal, was around prevention. And here we are, what, 18 years later, and we now have pretty much a program for every stakeholder in sport. Uh, it's all done online. It is the backbone of all prevention initiatives here in Canada and in some areas in the U.S. around prevention. And uh, I wouldn't have guessed we'd be at this point or that it would have taken us this long to get here, but it has. And um, we're approaching 2 million people that we've certified largely in Canada. But I think when Sheldon talks a little bit about the NHL, we'll see that uh, these issues absolutely have no border. Uh, And we're basically talking about human behaviors and uh, they don't have any boundaries. So um, we're excited, obviously, to be extending our work, especially since it's the workplace program they're going to be using in the NHL. And I'll let Sheldon talk to you a little bit about that. Yeah, would love to hear it. Yeah, well, I mean, basically, our approach and our concept has always been to empower the bystander, right? And really focus on, you know, the 98% of really good people in your organization and make them better. I mean, that has been our approach from day one in, in every program that we build, because, you know, in our opinion at Respect Group, I mean, it's uh, when you look at any of these cases, any case that you, you read about, there's 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 people that have been around the situation that, that are good people that just didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to empower them because they're going to be our best line of defense. And we need to build a confidence within organizations. We need to build a clarity around language. We need to, we need to simplify these issues because these issues, you bring these words up that are, that are you know, abuse, bullying, harassment, discrimination, neglect. They carry a significant uh, amount of fear with them, whether, you know, doesn't matter where they are. They just bring a lot of fear. Right. And, yeah. and I think they bring fear because there's a, there's a significant lack of understanding around each one of those words. And I think our goal has to bring a confidence and a clarity and a simplicity to the language needed to be your foundational training, right? We're not trying to create PhDs, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to, we're trying to encourage people um, with the knowledge um, to put their hand up and say, you know, just hmm, something's just, something's mm-hmm, not right mm-hmm. here. And, uh, and I think that, that is the best defense. And I, you know, and I, and I do want to, you know, I want to applaud the NHL, uh, Kim Davis, uh, the conversation. I know they've been doing some great work uh, in the space of inclusion and diversity. Uh, you know, I've spoken to Gary um, uh, Bettman, um, you know, and I think, you know, after my, my meeting with Mark Chippen, uh, you know, the, the owner and president of uh, the Winnipeg Jets, um, you know, and, and the conversations with Jeff Molson, the Montreal Canadians and so mm-hmm. forth. I mean, there is a real appetite to get this right and to be leaders in their community. And, you know, and I think that, you know, from my opinion and from my perception through these conversations, um, 
you know, I, I think I think you're going to see that. I, I feel I feel very confident that uh, these issues are going to be embraced. The issues and the topic of respect is going to be embraced. And when you look at respect or you look at discrimination and you look at all of the pieces that fall underneath discrimination, right? I think it encompasses everything that the NHL has already done and wants to do uh, in the future. And and I think that, you know, that's that's what I feel is going to happen. And, and I think not just in the NHL, but I mean, I think we have to use those tentacles within the NHL with, because if you look at it, it's, it's about that, you know, they've got a lot of power. And if you look at the abuse, it's not about a six foot two, 240 pound individual. It's about a power. And we need to use that power to be able to reach and to educate and to, to lead. And I think at the end of the day, this is about leadership, Skip, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is about right. leadership. And, you know, so there is an appetite, to, you know, Kim uh, Davis, who, um, you know, I'm very impressed with. I know Wayne, Wayne and I have talked about that and her whole team at the NHL and her presentation at the Board of Governors meeting. I mean, it was the first time that she had a standing ovation. So, you know, there is a willingness uh, from the league. And I think to be able to reach down to all of the leagues that uh, filter up into the NHL, I think, is going to help shift the culture. And that's ultimately what we want to do. Yeah. Um, so specifically what, so the NA, the NHL and I have the, the release in front of me, it's built around, um, you know, reporting, there's going to be a hotline. I think that's, that's being set up um, counseling for all staff, not just obviously players accountability. And you were talking about this, you know, organizations that feed up to the NHL, the AHL, the CHL, the ECHL, Greater Toronto Hockey, Hockey Canada, all the way down, U.S. College Hockey, all are, are hopefully going to be incorporated into this effort because clearly, you know, abuse can happen at any level, at any level. Uh, I have, uh, you know, um, nephews who are playing, um, you know, hockey here um, in, in, in the Boston area. And look, they, they want to make it to the next level, play college hockey, whatever it is. And the coach holds a level of power, obviously, over their future. Um, so this can happen anywhere. Uh, but is there anything else we need to know specifically about what the NHL is going to do or what you're excited about doing with them to, um, you know, make, you know, affect change here? Yeah, well, I mean, I, what excites me, and I mean, Wayne can, Wayne can jump in and, you know, talk about, you know, things that, but I think that, you know, if you look at the, if you look at their approach, I feel that it, it really, uh, it, it covers from start to finish. And I think that's huge, right? We can't just do the prevention. We can't, I think one of the mistakes we make a lot of times is we go out and, and, it, and, and whether it's in the mental health space or, you know, it, we always tell people to go get help, 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 get help. But meanwhile, we can't get a hold of anybody when we phone the lines that are available to help. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, and I think one of the big confusions that was uh, front and center in our conversations with Kim and her team and, and so forth is I think there's a, conf- there's a confusion uh, amongst uh, stakeholders around helplines. There's a whistleblower line and then there's mm-hmm. a helpline. And a mm-hmm. helpline is, is for counseling and actual to receive help. It's like, Sheldon Kennedy needs to go to treatment because he's a drunk, <laughs> right? You call this line or, you know what? Hey, I, uh, you know, I witnessed this. This is what's going on. And I think that's really about case management. And mm-hmm. if you look at case management, case management is really what happened is, is the case really fell through the cracks uh, in Chicago and, and uh, it wasn't managed at all. And I yeah. think that's what we need. There's two different lines. And I think there's a confusing okay. 
with people that, um, you know, a helpline is not a whistleblower line. Right. No, so I no, think great. that's important. And they already had one in place with Deloitte. And mm-hmm. I think it's really being able to expand that further to all the leagues. But I think one of the most important pieces is it's not just the player's responsibility. It's everybody in the organization's responsibility. It's, you know, it's everybody in the front office, everybody in the back office, everybody that works in that rink. We need to empower bystanders, right? And, and, uh, and, and it's about accountability. I mean, as players, if I'm sitting beside a teammate in a locker room, I have a responsibility to be the best I can be in this space. And I think, you know, one of the, you know, not only with our, do we do online training, but we also provide 10 uh, facilitated uh, uh, instructor uh, face-to-face courses. And one of them is um, to build a, uh, a team charter. And I think, you know, to be able to have and teach and coach, um, you know, individuals on how to have conversations around these issues, is going to be critical. Uh, we don't live in a panacea to think that, you know, this is our online programs, the end all be all. We know where it fits and, and it plays a very significant role in, in the foundational training. But to, be, to go beyond that, there has to be a, 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 uh, an asserted effort in, uh, in teaching uh, change. And I think that's what I'm excited about. Wayne, anything to add on that? Well, I think. You know, I think one of the most exciting things for me was the fact that suddenly an NHL team didn't see them, saw themselves as a workplace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. They, they, you know, you talked about the media and the commitment and the focus on teams, right. And sport. And they've always thought of themselves as perhaps maybe outside of the rest of society. Right. Mm-hmm. They can get away with things in sport that you wouldn't get away with in the classroom or the doctor's office. Right. So I think the, the exciting thing for me, and I felt it hook, line and sinker in my discussions with Kim Davis, is they finally understand. Perhaps Kim already did, but we helped her uh, with the with the notion that, you know, a hockey organization is a workplace mm-hmm. and the, mm-hmm. the same laws the same, uh, you know, uh, human rights legislation, they're not exempt. So if they start treating everybody as this is a workplace, it's going to get them consistent with the rest of society. It's not a huge leap because we have easily identifiable tools through the behaviors that can happen in the change room that can happen in anywhere in the workplace and also giving them tools, especially in the case of the players, uh, tools that they can use within their role at a hockey team, but they can also take it with them when they leave hockey and go into another workplace and it will be applicable. So for me, the realization that, you know, a hockey organization, yes, there's a team of 30 people, but in the broad scope, it's a workplace. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, for a long time, um, you know, the, and that's not this is an ownership issue, but they would say it's a business. But you know, they want to want it to be a locker room when they want it to be a locker room and a business when they want it to be a business. And and clearly the liability is is huge on on, on these issues. So last question here. Um, it feels like sports is sort of the tip of the spear on this issue, but we'll go back to I think what I said offline. And that there's just an enormous amount of media coverage that goes along with these industries, with these leagues. The, as I said, 
Uh, the Patriots have 20 plus beat writers who just cover their business. They don't cover any other business. That's it. That's what they do. And there's, there's no other company in the world um, that has that. And you have 30 NFL teams with 20 plus beat writers. You have 32 NHL teams. Um, so I think uh, the power, the amplifi amplifying properties of sports um, makes it appear that this is at the tip of the, uh, the spear of the issue. But let's take it forward. How can the NHL, the NBA, whoever chooses to adopt your program, leverage the power of their built-in media you know, own channels and the ones that are along with it to spread the word, to make sure that it does get filtered down to every single layer of sports. How can they live? What are your thoughts on that? Or do you work with your clients in doing that? Like, and ESPN and Turner are partners with the NHL. What should the NHL be doing with Turner, with, um, ESPN to spread, to, to communicate this to every level of hockey? Well, I mean, they need to walk the walk, exactly. right? And that's, that's what, you know, to me, that's leadership. And, you know, and to me, I mean, you know, uh, people think the, the plan's ambitious, uh, what was set out at the Board of Governors meetings. We don't see it as ambitious at all. Um, but I think that, you know, we need to... Um, we need to educate and energize uh, every individual, every player in the league and every team um, around these issues so that we can, when we go to work at a hockey school, when we're out in public, when we're, you know, um, speaking to the media, we're, we're cognizant of these issues, we're aware of it, and we're walking the walk. And, you know, and we're going to not be a bystander. And I think that's, that's, the most important thing I believe of how we drive change um, because to me um, you know, we, I've always been attracted to leaders that are, that are doing it, not just talking about it. And, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and I think that's, that's what, what can come out of this. And I think, you know, it's, it's building off with the NHL. If you look at the NHL, you look at the NFL, I mean, I watch. I watch sports and, you know, I like sports. Um, and, and I think there's some great things that are happening. Um, but I think what we need to take that to level two, right? Take it to level two and to really um, understand who is coming up the system, who is going to be, you know, potentially in our game or who's going to be watching our games. And, and I think, you know, and what are some of the biggest issues that are face society today? I mean, mm -hmm. some of the biggest issues that face our society days today are the impacts of trauma, early childhood trauma, and, you know, mental health, depression, anxiety, stress, and, and, and we know the outcomes of those, mm -hmm. right? It's not good. And lots of times those, the outcomes of this early stuff are the ones that make the headlines. And I think if we go back to the media, like, the media, I feel, has a huge role in learning along with the team and telling good stories along with the teams. Yeah. They have a role to tell because they are the messenger. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think we need to embrace that, not be scared of it. And if an incident happens, we need to be able to be out in front of it. We need to face it. We need to talk about it and be confident that we're doing everything in our power to make sure uh, that in our organization, you know what? okay, we need to change. There's, that's a hole that we didn't realize because the way we talk about these issues, the way we educate on these issues, the way we understand these issues are different today 
than they were 10 years ago as they were 25 years ago. Yeah. And I think we need to, you know, this is not about perfect. This is about, this is about progress. Yeah. Yeah. One of the first conversations I had was with uh, Bryant McBride, who was the executive producer of the Willie documentary. Um, and he talked about just the power of hockey as it is in terms of, you know, f- you know, the formation of the, the, the individual and the idea that you, you get on the ice and you fall and you have to get yourself up and, and, and you, it teaches you how to get up. Um, so hockey is a great uh, proving ground for that. Uh, one of the things I would love to see as I look through this NHL um, plan, the respect for hockey summits. I'd love to see one in every NHL city. I'd like to see their media partner, the Nesson of the world for the Boston Bruins, uh, televise it, record it. They don't have to put it on live. They could chop it up um, and do it as a special. Um, and the Bruins host a Respect for Hockey Summit with Nesson there. And every coach um, at a high school youth level be there and, and participate in that. I think that would be something that would be really interesting uh, on that front. Um, Wayne, uh, last, uh, you know, last comment to you and, or we'll wrap it up and, and thank you for your time, but Wayne, anything last to add? I think, you know, Sheldon talked about, it. he said, walk the walk in, in our minds right now, uh, the proof will be in the pudding. I think not from the work we do, but I think from a credibility standpoint, you know, some of the organizations we've worked with, uh, because they respond reactively to an issue, uh, there's maybe a little bit of uh, concern that they're not being genuine and it's more fluff. And I think our role hand in hand with the NHL is to make sure this isn't fluff, to make mm-hmm. sure that the education gets embedded and then they start having these summits and then the media, I believe, will buy in far more so than right now when there's a little bit of, oh, we've heard that all before. So yeah. I think we've, We've got to make this thing successful with some testimonials, with some data from respected individuals in the organizations that anecdotally and perhaps factually say this thing's working. And Mm -hmm. then we have a shot at, you know, gaining the trust of the media and and other outliers that can help carry that message. Yeah, that's great. Well, I, I wish you guys a, a lot of success with your NHL program. I hope every league comes to you and says, we want this too. Um, I thank you for your time. I know it's a busy season and um, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Okay, well, another thanks to Wayne and uh, Sheldon for having that great conversation. Such a hugely important topic. And, um, you know, it keeps happening. And that's just incredibly disappointing. There was some recent news um, in the last few weeks about uh, the University of Michigan and a big settlement that they made. So clearly, you know, these are things that happened in the past, but unfortunately, they're probably happening now. And um, sports, through that amplification, the amplifying properties that come along with the media, have an extremely uh, large voice and I think can do potentially a lot of good in this area. So that's it for the uh, this episode of the Amplification Avenue podcast. Before I sign off, a note of thanks, as always, to Alex Caruso for producing the podcast. 
A thank you to Pyramid Thieves for providing our music. And a thank you to you, our listeners, for taking in another episode of the Sawyer Amplification, Sawyer Business School Amplification Avenue podcast presented by Suffolk University. Please look for future episodes on your favorite podcast app and be sure to subscribe, rate, and share. As always, I look forward to talking to you and with you again in the near future.